You know, every year we sing songs about it. Every year we decorate our homes with reminders about it. Every year we greet strangers with glad tidings about it. Even people who don't know its real purpose still say, Merry Christmas. But you know, few people know where that phrase, Merry Christmas, came from. The original phrase actually means Christ's Mass, or the gathering in the name of Jesus, the gathering in the name of Christ. And it honored the incarnation of Jesus. Through his mother Mary, God became a man. And resulting in that phrase, Mary, Christ's Mass, or Mary, Christmas. Now, some Christians get real offended when people abbreviate Merry Christmas to Merry Xmas. They think that somebody's trying to take Jesus out of their Christmas celebration. But did you know that to all of the disciples in the early church, that letter X always meant Jesus? Now, some people take real offense when people start going around saying, Happy Holidays. They think it's some kind of disrespectful attempt to remove Jesus from Christmas. But what most people don't know is the meaning of that greeting. You see, if you look it up in the dictionary, holiday is derived from holy days. So, let the world say happy holidays. I don't care. I mean, think about it. We know what the true meaning is, and that is happy holy day, the day the Holy One became a man. The question we might have today is why? Why did Jesus become a man? Friends, I think you'll be surprised to learn that he came for more than just the reasons that you're thinking of right now. In Luke chapter 1, on page 903 in the Bibles in front of you, if you want to follow along. In Luke chapter 1, we find the angel Gabriel speaking directly to Mary. And while talking to her, Gabriel declared that her human child would indeed be the Son of God. In Luke chapter 1, I'm going to begin in verse 26. I'm going to skip around a bit, so bear with me. In verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name Mary. In verse 30, then an angel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore that Holy One, who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Today, friends, I want to begin our new Christmas series with a message that shares five quick reasons why Jesus became a man. The first of which is that Jesus came to satisfy Old Testament prophecies. In Luke chapter 24, the Lord Jesus himself said, All things must be fulfilled that is written in the prophets and in the Psalms, listen, concerning me. Everything must be fulfilled that's written in the Psalms and the prophets concerning me. Friend, do you realize that you could almost tell the entire story of Jesus just by using the prophecies in the Old Testament? Every page from Genesis to Malachi, looks forward with mind-blowing anticipation to the coming of the Son of God who would be born to Mary. Now, while the Old Testament was written by many different authors, in many different places, in many different time periods, listen to me, the message was the same. The Savior would come. To rescue his people and restore them to a relationship with God. Isaiah said that he'd be born of a virgin. And that his names would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Micah foretold that the king would be born in Bethlehem. Jeremiah prophesied that in the place where Jesus was to be born... There would be a massacre of infants. And of course we know that was true. But the list goes on and on. And in fact, there are over 300 Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ that were fulfilled in his life. Now listen to me, friends. That's significant. Because the chances of all those prophecies being fulfilled in one person is about 1 in 83 billion. That'd be similar to you winning the lottery 83 times in a row. Somebody say amen. The point is this. Jesus satisfied all those Old Testament prophecies written about him. But Jesus also came to show us the Father. In John chapter 14, when Philip was talking with Jesus, he said, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be sufficient for us. And Jesus responded saying, have I been with you so long, but you don't know me, Philip? See, friends, Jesus was God in a body. Jesus was God in flesh. If you want to know who God is, then you need to know who Jesus is. Jesus came to teach us about God. 
And when you see Jesus doing all those things that he did throughout the Gospels, listen to me, you are watching God at work. You are watching God working in the lives of people. Do you want to know God? Then get to know Jesus. That is the only way. The only way to become a Christian, friend, is to know Jesus. That is why, friend, it's the only way that you can know God is to know Jesus. You must know the Lord. He said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Not only did Jesus come to satisfy all those Old Testament prophecies, he came to show us, show us the Father. But Jesus also came to save us from sin. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul wrote, listen, y'all, this, this is the Anderson version, amen. Uh, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul added to that, he said, of which I am chief. Now, that's the only thing where I would differ with Paul because I would say that Bill Barlow is the chief of sinners. But that's another story. See, we had to have the God-man to save us. It had to be the God-man to save us. You see, on the cross, friend, with his hands outstretched, Jesus took hold of the Father with one hand, and he took hold of man with the other hand. And on the cross, he brought those two together to be reconciled into a relationship once again. God shut down the cycle of sin. He shut down the cycle of sin by sending Jesus to be our Savior. And had he not come, had the Lord not come, you and I would have been doomed to this long, downward spiral leading to the gates of hell. So if you've never put your trust in Jesus, can I tell you, you can't have your sins forgiven. We must trust in Jesus because he's a reason why he came. He's the reason why he came to save us from our sin. Now, not only those things, but Jesus also came, and this is important for you and I today, because we all recognize that we're all going through different struggles in our life. But Jesus came to sympathize with our weaknesses. You know, ever since youth camp last summer, I've kind of gotten attached to another favorite Bible verse, and it comes from Hebrews chapter 4. And in verse 15, the Bible says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace where we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christian, do you know why you can go to Jesus with whatever's going on in your life? Do you know why you can go to Jesus with your sins, with your struggles, with your stress, with your suffering, with your sorrow? Do you know why you can go to him knowing that he hears you and he understands you? It's all because he came down here. It's all because he came down here and he experienced everything that we experienced except was without sin. 
I read a story about a plastic surgeon named Dr. Maxwell Maltz. And Maltz told of a story of a man who was badly burned over a large portion of his body as he was trying to rescue his elderly parents from their burning home. Sadly, his parents perished in the fire. But this man thought that his badly disfigured face was somehow a punishment from God. And he refused to let anyone see his face, not even his wife. Sometime later, the wife went to Dr. Maltz and he said, I need your help. My husband needs your help. And Dr. Maltz said, yes, I can help him. But, but the man just refused any offer of plastic surgery. So in frustration, the wife went back to Dr. Maltz and he asked her to do the unspeakable. She asked him to disfigure her face so that she would kind of be like him and maybe he might let her back in to his life. Obviously, Dr. Maltz refused that, but he did go to the man's house. And he went and he knocked on the door and he said loudly, I'm a plastic surgeon. I can restore your face. There was no response. So again, he knocked on the door. He said, please, I can help you. But still, no answer. Finally, he shouted the wife's proposal. He said, your wife wants me to disfigure her face to be like yours in the hopes that you might let her back into your life. After a brief moment of silence, the doorknob began to turn. Friend, listen. Whatever you've been through, God's been there. And the way, the way that that wife felt about her husband is the way God feels about you. God came and took on our face. He came and he took on our disfigurement. He became a man. So that God might become touchable. Approachable. Reachable. So whatever you've been through. Whatever you're going through. You can be sure that God has been all the way down that road and back. He knows what you've gone through. And when you pray, he will embrace you with his love and he will tell you, my daughter, I've been there. Son, I have experienced that. I can sympathize with your weakness. Jesus indeed came to satisfy those Old Testament prophecies. Jesus indeed came to show us what the Father looked like. He came to save us from our sin 
But most of all, he came to sympathize with all our weaknesses. And finally today, Jesus came to secure our hope of heaven. You want to boil down Christmas, you can boil it all down this way. Y'all ready? Say, I'm ready. Jesus came down so I could go up. Somebody say amen. Jesus came down so I could go up. Say that with me. Jesus came down so I could go up. That's Christmas in a nutshell. In Colossians 1.27, the Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you know that until Jesus lives in your heart, you're not fit for heaven? None of us are. The only way that we can live in heaven is with Christ in us. We can't come to the Father except through Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, we can't go to heaven except through Jesus. He's the one. He's the one that paid the penalty for our sins. And listen, if you're a believer and you're alive on the day that he returns, you're going to hear that trumpet of God and you're going to rise up to be with him in the air. And if you happen to die as a believer before he comes, I'm here to tell you that your spirit will immediately be in the presence of God. as we begin celebrating Christmas this year, here's something I want you to know. Jesus has you on his heart. Make Christmas personal this year. Jesus has you on his heart. And listen to what he's watching. He's watching you as you give of yourself your marriages and your family, on the job, your testimony as a believer. He's watching as you give of yourself. He's watching as you give of your time. Yeah, he's even watching you as you give of the money that he's given you to manage. He's listening to you as you sing praises to him or not. He hears the prayers you pray. Speaking to you even now through the power of his word. But the Lord is also observing how you're going to respond to worship today. Will your worship bring you into a closer fellowship with God? Every time we do it, it should. Will your worship encourage you to turn from those pesky sins in your life? I was reminded of Ephesians 4.30. Where the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. See that word grieve? That word grieve is a love word. You got these kids next door that play basketball and that basketball makes the most awful racket every time it hits the rim and we hear it all day long don't we darling them kids next door they can kind of irritate me 
They can get under my skin. They can frustrate me. Even in the rain, they're out there playing basketball. But if that was my own kid, I love him. He may grieve me, but I love him. Let us not grieve the Holy Spirit within us. Our worship should encourage us to turn from sin. But our worship should also cause us to make changes in our life for the glory of God. If there's anything that you should ask yourself when you leave this place this morning, is how am I going to glorify God in my life? You see, that's why you're still here. If you're a Christian, the reason you're still here and not already in heaven is because God wants to use you here for his glory. Make sure you ask yourself those hard questions. How am I going to glorify God in my life? And during this decision time, as you ask yourself those questions, we'll just have to see how you respond. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord God Almighty, we praise you and thank you for this incredible opportunity to allow the power of your word to change our lives. Father, we are so grateful that there is nothing in this life, there is nothing in death that can separate us from your great love in Christ Jesus. And Father, we pray in the mighty name of our Savior that, Lord, we walk out of this building changed. Father, as we go through this service of baptism, Lord, let us realize that this is an illustrative picture of the change that is made in believers. Father, about half of these are those who have rededicated their life. You've spoken to them about changes that need to be made in their lives, and you have resolved, they have resolved, Father, to allow you to make those changes. Father, there are the other half who have come to you for salvation through Christ Jesus, knowing that they, don't earn, they can't earn it, they don't deserve it, but you have poured it out as a free gift. Father God, I pray that, Lord, you would have your will in your way through each one, and I pray that, Lord, as a church family, Lord, we would encourage them, we would teach them, we would train them up, we would edify them, we would hold them accountable. Lord, we would help them when they're broken, when they struggle, Lord, we'd be there. Father, help us to realize that we have as much a responsibility as these who are being baptized this morning. Father, I thank you for everyone who is here today, and I know that they're here for a reason, and that is, Lord, to respond to your word. So, Father, if there's a prayer concern, Father, if there's a desire to be saved, if there's a desire for rededication, Lord, whatever it is you've placed on that person's life, I pray you would encourage them to take out that step of faith, is to step out, step forward. You'll, you'll guide them the rest of the way. And Father, we'll help them according to your word. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing. Invitation. Wait.